When we bring a sense of humor, when we can bring that mixture of, yes, we're going to talk about something, but let's keep our hearts light. Let's remember that we're a family. We love each other. First and foremost, this is not a political fight. We just want to love our grandkids or our kids the best way we can. This is the Curious Neuron Podcast, where we take a compassionate approach to science-based parenting. Join us as we break down the science of child development and parenting into digestible and applicable advice. Hello, friends. Welcome back to another episode of the Curious Neuron Podcast. My name is Cindy Hovington, and I am your host. I am a mom of three, and I have a doctor degree in neuroscience, and I try to share the research with you um, so it can help you make these informed parenting decisions. I also like to have conversations with parents and people who are not parents, um, but we can talk about topics that really matter to us as parents and things that we need to talk about with our children. And that is exactly what today's episode is. I'm going to have a conversation conversation that might be uncomfortable for some of us to listen to. Um, And I do want to put out a warning. Um, There might be some trigger warnings. We are talking about the sex industry today. And there's a reason why I want to talk about it. But before I dive into it and talk to you about my guest today, I do want to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute for supporting the Curious Neuron podcast. Without them, this would not be possible. And it wouldn't be possible without you as well listening to this. So thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, please take a moment to rate the podcast and leave a review, especially if you want another season (laughs) next year. um, We do need those reviews. This helps us know that, you know, we're increasing our reach and that this matters to you and it's important and that it's making a difference. So if it is, please take a moment to do that and let me know. Send me an email at info at curiousneuron.com. Let me know that you rated the podcast and I will send you a free PDF um, that we have called Meltdown Mountain. Or if you'd like, I have one for a new workshop that is up on the website called The Link Between Emotions and Behavior. And I have a workbook that comes with it. I will more than happily send you that PDF for free um, as a thank you for rating and reviewing the podcast. If you aren't doing so yet, you can follow us on Instagram at curious underscore neuron or on Facebook or on YouTube where you can watch this episode. And I'm going to continue to put some of the older episodes up as we move along so that you can watch them on YouTube or listen to them uh, wherever you are listening to your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, or Amazon Music. It is available across all platforms. So thank you for listening. Today, my guest is Sarah Jones. And if you don't know who Sarah Jones is, she is the Tony-winning writer and performer, and she's making her directional debut uh, with her new film called Sell by Date, which Cinedime released in October this year. Sell by Date is now available on Video On Demand on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. So you can head on there and watch it over the holidays. And I am so happy to speak to her about this because she had the opportunity to speak to a lot of people in the sex industry. And I know that you're probably listening to this saying, Cindy, what does this have to do with parenting? I thought you were talking about parenting stuff. Actually, it has a lot to do with it because as you know, I try to talk about or discuss topics that sometimes are uncomfortable, as this one might be for some of us, but it's important because it has to do with our children. And I'll explain to you what happened in the past couple months that led me to to Sarah and that led me to the fact that we needed to talk about this. So I follow a lot of mom groups online and on Facebook, and 
in the past few months, two posts from moms who were clearly so upset about this and, and disturbed by what had happened. Um, both of them involved elementary school girls. And again, just to put it, I just want to put a disclaimer, there will be a lot of uncomfortable discussions in this episode, but I think they are important. So one mom had posted that her daughter was forced into a bathroom. Um, her daughter was seven years old and was forced into a bathroom um, in an elementary school by two nine-year-old boys. And they were telling her to put her pants down. Reading this was so sad. I, I just kept picturing the girl and picturing what was happening and what was happening in the homes and what sort of conversations had happened in both the homes of this young girl and, and these two boys. Um, and then the second event that I saw, or the second situation I saw in these Facebook um, groups was again, two young boys, this time they were six years old and they cornered a six-year-old girl from their class in a hallway. She was coming back from the bathroom and they told her that they were going to break her vagina and they started kicking her uh, in all her private parts, and she was hurt by these two young boys. The reason why I'm bringing these two situations is because sometimes we think that things are okay in schools, and we think that everything will be fine, and our children will be fine, and we wait until these situations happen to have these super uncomfortable conversations with our kids. I was listening to an episode of Justin Baldoni's podcast called Man Enough, and Sarah Jones was one of the guests, and she was talking about um, masculinity and the sex industry, and she mentioned a stat that I'll, I'll talk about in the interview with her, but that stat really struck me, and it reminded me that as parents, we don't want to have these conversations before anything happens. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Why should we scare our child, or, or why should we have a conversation about sex, or, or protecting your body, or, or standing up for yourself, or saying no, or what no means, if it hasn't happened, or if your child hasn't questioned it. But I do urge parents to listen to this podcast episode together if you if you can because this is a conversation that you need to have together as parents and and if you are divorced or separated from your partner you still have to get together to talk about what you both will be discussing with your child and it clearly from from what i read on these facebook groups it doesn't matter if your child is 6 years old we need to talk about what their private parts are what it means to protect them, what their names are, and, and how to say no to something, how to walk away. And even after I watched Sarah's movie called Sell by Date, you know, it really struck me the first person she spoke to in this movie spoke about her teacher giving her a lot of attention and being really nice to her. And at that time, she was 17 years old. Her family wasn't making a lot of money and and she needed the money and that the teacher offered her money for sex. And again, she was 17 years old and it seemed like a transaction at the time. She needed money for her family and he offered it and he had been really kind to her and still was during these transactions. And I think that we as parents, even if your child is very young and you're not ready to have these sort of conversations, Clearly, this has to happen at some point, and we also have to be aware of it. So I highly, highly recommend that you do watch this movie and that you do, at some point, when you're ready, have this conversation that these things can happen. Sometimes somebody's being kind to your child, and we need to let them know what's right, what's right and what's wrong. Let them know what sort of feelings 
you know, if you're not feeling good about something, how to, how to, how to speak up about it, how to come and talk to you about it. Um, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation with Sarah. So that being said, just to warn you again, we are talking about the sex industry. Sarah will share some of her conversations that she's had and, and, but the, mostly the conversation is about why we need to have these uncomfortable conversations with our kids uncomfortable but needed. Um, I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did and I love how Sarah breaks into these characters so if you are listening on this podcast please watch it on YouTube. It's amazing to see her break into these characters and I thoroughly enjoyed this uh, movie as well. Um, Sell by Date like I said is available on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. All the notes you need are in the show notes. I'll see you on the other side. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for joining me on the Curious Neuron podcast. Hi, Cindy. Bonjour. Uh, salut. Bonjour. Oui. <laughs> Most of our audience is English, but yes, it's great to know that you speak French as well. Um, as we were having a little chat before, and I said this is not the conventional podcast episode here, but I am known to have these uncomfortable conversations, and we're going to have one today. Um, but, you know, it marked me when I heard your conversation on the Man Enough podcast, and you said that girls enter the sex industry around 12 to 13 years of age. And your new movie, uh, which I will give you time to talk to us about, You, you've done the research and you've spoken with these people and you've had these conversations. And that is why I wanted to speak to you today, because I think that as parents, there are certain topics that we feel uncomfortable with, sex being one of them. And I think that it's one that we should not avoid and should be having these conversations. So how about you begin by um, talking to us a little bit about your movie and the research that you did to get to this documentary? Yeah, well, I first of all, thank you for that introduction. And I think you're reminding me that these topics are more intertwined than we may realize, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, both my parents are clinicians. I grew up with a, two doctors for parents who were very <laughs> focused on the research. And actually, my mom had three kids just like you. And, you know, being a mom and being a scientist or being a researcher, these are inextricably linked uh, to me, parenting and, you know, how we live as a society, they go hand in hand. And so anything that we you know, are willing to talk about in our film and in our culture, we also, I'm just so grateful that you're bringing this together. And uh, I will say when you said it's an uncomfortable conversation, part of me is so grateful that this is the kind of discomfort that leads to better outcomes. Yes. So it's the discomfort that's so worth it. You know, I think of going mm -hmm. to the gym or, you know, what are the other things that are <laughs> uncomfortable, but we know we are willing to go through that temporary discomfort mm -hmm. in order to arrive at an improved conversation. So yeah, that statistic. And I want to be clear. I grew up in New York City. I actually went to the United Nations School. That's why j'ai un peu de français. Um, français oui. Oui, un tout petit peu. Mais uh, one of the things I learned, and I think people learn this around the world in cities and, and everywhere, you know, girls and the ways in which we are adultified, it's, you know, a new, new kind of term, but the ways we are uh, sexualized early Many of us, depending on culture, you know, um, whether it's the schoolgirl uniform is a very sexualized image and those girls are young, you know, and 
So I want to be clear that the statistic, as I understand it, is that the average age of a girl being introduced to the sex industry, right? So people Mm -hmm. who are in the sex industry, if you ask the average age that they were first exposed, it's 12 or 13. And Mm -hmm. I want to add to that statistic, my own anecdotal experience of being 12, 13, walking down the streets of New York and men catcalling, giving inappropriate attention to young girls. And they would know that we're teenagers, right? They didn't, I'm very tall. So I looked a little older, but really the tween age, the preteen age, we as a society want to look the other way. We want to pretend. And meanwhile, we know from films like Taxi Driver, when, you know, Jodie Foster as a 13 year old played a so-called prostitute, really what she was, was a trafficked child, right? 13 years old. Mm -hmm. So I think that as uncomfortable as this is to discuss, the facts were so compelling to me that I realized we don't talk about as parents, or in my case, as an aunt, You know, kids on their phones have access to porn, to OnlyFans, to, you know, if you think this conversation is too uncomfortable, check your kids browsing history and then decide, is this something that you're really willing to pretend isn't occurring? We know it's there. Um, And I even in the film learned details like the Barbie doll, right, which uh, started out American, uh, but is very much an international, I think, symbol of dolls that girls, you know, traditionally play with. I played with Barbies. She's based on a German prostitute from World War II. This is this wholesome symbol of, you know, girlhood. And actually it's directly linked. The original doll was called the Lily doll and it came out of Germany. But Barbie and her over-sexualized appearance is based in the sex industry. I didn't know that. Every parent right now is like cringing at the fact that there are Barbie dolls in their house. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing. I don't want to shame or stigmatize the sex industry or the Barbie doll. You know, there maybe is one woman on earth who's naturally built that way. I don't want to, you know, stigmatize her. But the point is, we pretend that this is not an, you know, sort of integrated part of our culture and how we all are sort of raised with certain ideas about femininity, sexuality, from the time we're very much younger than the legal age that we would consider appropriate to talk about sex. So I think we need to dial back the timing of what we think is appropriate to a much earlier age so that it catches girls upstream before the problem of exactly. their adolescence. And and you brought up the whole, the internet part of this. I posted a stat, I think it was from a company called Thorn. It's a new company that's like helping um, trafficking online. And they had a stat, they had interviewed some kids and between the ages of nine to 12, 25% of these kids have been asked to, what is it they call it, self Um, self-produce a nude picture and when I posted this stat parents were like how that's such a high percentage what how is this even possible well their phones are with them all the time and these stats were coming from within the schools too like kids asking each other to send these nude pictures of themselves which is why we do have to talk about it I know here in Quebec in, in Canada we had this sex education program that was introduced a couple of years ago just recent I think right before the pandemic started and parents were furious they did not want young kids to talk about sex but it was different obviously according to their age kindergarten kids were being taught the proper name to their body parts and parents some parents were not comfortable with that they didn't want them to know that as if saying that word 
means that it's bad, which I grew up with that way. You don't, you don't, you didn't name your body part. You would just say, you know, my private parts, but this is part of the conversation we need to start having more. And like you said, earlier on. Absolutely. And I want to be clear that as you point out, we are uh, evolved enough as a global society, you know, whether it's there in Quebec or here, you know, I'm in Los Angeles, I'm in New York. We are willing to use technology to kind of push the boundaries of, you know, um, how we as a society are talking about politics, are talking about so much. We're getting more honest, you know, reckonings about, I mean, I know that um, at least for me, if we don't have age appropriate ways of, you know, addressing anything, health, you don't go to a five-year-old in kindergarten and try to teach them neuroscience. You know, they learn the (laughs) basics first. They learn to brush their teeth. They learn. And so I guess to me, the kind of fear that people, and I think it's learned, right? Over generations, we've, whether it's because of religion or whatever our cultures are, the kind of, there can be a puritanical idea that sex is taboo. You can't talk about it. And if you just ignore it, it will go away. Well, I promise you, if you look at the, you know, abstinence only sex education statistics around pregnancy in teenagers, that will show you everything you need to know about let's just bury our heads in the sand. So to me, this is a liberating opportunity for parents to, again, in an age appropriate way, give their kids the gift that we didn't have. I don't want to hear kids, Mm -hmm. you know, using silly names for body parts or whatever, be out of a taboo, out of shame, out of fear that there's something wrong with their bodies. This can actually help self-esteem. You know, it can help communication Mm -hmm. between parents and kids to have more um, honest and, you know, um, I think not only honest conversation, but also debunking the myth that we have to whisper or hide. You can't see this around yeah. them. Just do it in an age appropriate way. And it will actually liberate them so that they become healthier adolescents and adults. And protection, right? Because I, I, I've read some studies that talk about if you have sex education or talking about body awareness much earlier on, then you are protecting them from those moments when they're asked to do something that's not appropriate where they understand that this is their body and they have the right to it. And, you know, something as simple as allowing a child not to give a hug if they don't want to, to like that grandparent. It's okay. We we take it so personally as a society. I've heard parents tell me this, you know, like my mother or my mother-in-law, they're offended that this two-year-old doesn't want to hug them. But how about teaching them like their body is theirs and that it's okay to do that? Um, I, I'm wondering, you know, something that's been consistent speaking to researchers and experts is that we always start with us, the parent, whether it's talking to a child about death, racism, now this within talking about like sex and sex education. Do you think with the conversations that you the conversations you had, should we be doing the same thing, like addressing our own biases and issues and problems and prejudices around all of this? Well, you are leading me <laughs> right into the goal when I made the film in the first place, which is to have a piece of hopefully um, informative, but also entertaining kind of um, conversation starter. That's really what the film is. It's to say, let's start with us. And I saw Pretty Woman. I'm sure lots of other people did. I loved Julia Roberts in her thigh-high boots, and it was kind of a Cinderella (laughs) story, and who didn't watch it and love it? And yet, if we're being very honest, that's a very sanitized, you know, very removed from reality version 
of a story that ends up impacting, you know, at least in the U.S., as far as I know, there are one million uh, women who would call themselves sex workers. There's lots of different terms. There are some people who would say they're a survivor and they would not call themselves, you know, uh, happy to be in that industry. And there are some people who say, I want to be in this industry. I think the goal is for us as adults first, as parents first, examine our own relationship. I get so many people, they watch the film, which is streaming by the way, so people can watch it. I've been joking that it's a, it'll make a very interesting holiday present, maybe different than socks, but it's cheaper than socks and hopefully, hopefully more, even more practical because it can I've had people tell me, you know, I decided to watch the film with my 13-year-old. First, I watched it, and then I realized I should sit down with her and watch this. She's old enough to have access, as we were saying, to, you know, everything that's on the phone. And not only that, the dolls, we talked about Barbie, but there's also the Bratz dolls. There's also these films that really sexualize young girls. And if you don't give them a sense that, hey, I'm your parent, the same way you can come to me about other things, I want this to be an open dialogue. And what do we do? We start with ourselves, right? You don't try to do your math homework with your kid without doing some of it yourself. So, you know, you can be helpful. And actually I've had people tell me it's very healing. They realize, oh my goodness, I forgot. I thought about being an exotic dancer in, you know, college at one point, or, you know, I remember that story about my immigrant relative who came here And she was shamed because she had a child out of wedlock and it turned out she was in, you know, this industry or whatever. These stories are not as far removed as we think. We just shame them and sweep them under the rug as adults. So I think this can actually be a catalyst for learning more about ourselves, which then will inform, as you said, healthier kids, more in touch in, you know, attuned kids who know there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing to be ashamed of. This is my body. This is what's happening out in the society. Again, at an age appropriate level, but the same way we teach stranger danger. We used to teach when I was a kid, you know, um, learning that it's really about making sure our kids are equipped. It's not about, Mm. you know, creating, uh, taboos or stigma or upsetting grandma or the aunt or the uncle who's like, why won't the kid hug me? Actually, maybe the uncle or the aunt gets to say, wow, I never thought about how I was sort of forced to hug my relatives, you know, back in the ancient right. times. And who would I be if I had learned, you know, bodily autonomy back then? So I love hearing different generations coming at this from a place of, you know, open questioning, hopefully compassion and not shaming each other and just saying, okay, we're willing, just like with racism, to admit here are these things we haven't been willing to engage with in the past. Let's do it now. We're ready. I love that. You 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 know, you touched upon two words, I think, in your, what you described before that I try to approach in parenting. And it's first being curious and then compassionate or both together. But in anything that we do, whether it's with our kids or these, these uncomfortable conversations, if we are curious first and compassionate for the person that we're speaking with, we can approach something that's so uncomfortable and still have these conversations and a person will feel accepted and, and acknowledged and, you know, especially when we're having these conversations with our kids. Um, there was a study that I was looking and for those of you listening, I will put the link as always to this research study in the show notes for this um, podcast episode, but it spoke about sex education and how it's still not what it should be. Um, like you said before, um, you know, saying no or, uh, you know, this abstinence, it's it, it's not working. Uh, you know, it's not what we should be doing. But in addition to that, we should be talking specifically about boys as well. And, you know, um, just extending all of that to the LGBTQ plus, you know, 
Um, is this something that stood out in your research, in your uh, documentary as well, and when you were speaking to people? Absolutely. And the film, you know, we really wanted to explore this conversation in a way that is respectful, right? I think that I think we're all yeah. arriving at the same clarity in this time of reckoning and awakening as people and as parents. Who do we want to be? Not who do we say we are, you know, but who do we actually aspire to be as a society that you know, allows space for inclusion that is welcoming of all different, you know, viewpoints and cultural backgrounds and acknowledges, right, the truth of maybe stuff that we have been sweeping under the historical rug for a long time. <laughs> Trans folks have always existed, right, in every society. Mm -hmm. And it's only, you know, now that we're waking up to, wait a minute, some of the same oppressive, you know, ways that we've treated women, that we've treated people of color, you know, that we've treated First Nations folks, those same ways of oppressing, you know, people across the gender continuum, gender expansive people, all of that came up in my film. There's a disproportionate number of trans folks who, because of transphobia, they're more likely to be, you know, kind of either trafficked or have no choice, you know, but to support themselves with this line of work. And there are some people who would say it's not work. It's, you know, like, so it's a complex conversation. I wanted to keep my ears open to all sides. Mm -hmm. And what I love about my experience getting to do the film, I play characters from lots of different backgrounds. So I'll introduce people. Can't see, oh, I love people it. can't see me, but. <laughs> Hi there. It's wonderful to be here with you, Cindy. I know this is unusual for your listeners. I'm not a researcher, but Sarah Jones comes from a mixed race family, black and white. And, you know, she has Latino relatives and uh, Jewish, Christian, all the different backgrounds. And, you know, the one thing we all have in common across all the backgrounds is taboos and things that we are so afraid to talk about because our mother didn't talk about, our grandmother didn't talk about, going back and back for generations, how will it change? So anyway, as you can tell, I brought, <laughs> yeah, I love it. I, I brought some of my characters to represent this idea of can we be in conversation with each other, like you said, with curiosity, with, with yeah. compassion, and with a willingness to, instead of shaming and blaming, right? Because this is a painful topic. Yes. It's, you know what I mean? For, for yeah. It's a shame to me when I look at the fact that women get arrested and are, you know, slut shamed. And, and unfortunately it happens with girls. We see girls in schools where, you know, unfortunately if they do take a, what is it called? A self, a self take nude photo. And, you know, the next thing you know, they're being bullied or it's being passed around the school. The girl is being stigmatized in ways that boys traditionally are not. And we want to stop that. Those of us who care about feminism, we have to care about this issue. You know, the men and boys and non-binary folks who are our allies, this has to be part of how we approach education um, because it's not just, you know, the image in Hollywood films of the woman walking the streets or whatever. This same concept of respect for women's bodies, you know, acknowledging where we have a long history of, um, I would say, having a limited uh, and sort of strict, uh, almost Victorian idea about who is a lady, who's well-behaved. I mean, I still hear people say to their girl children, be a little lady or, you know, that's not very yes. ladylike. You have to do this with your body or that with your body to be okay. And I think we're trying to get out of those models of 
you know, really being stuck in old ideas about who people have to be instead of being honest that when we try to limit girls and, and, and it hurts boys too, right? When we teach boys that girls are objects, it just disrupts their ability to really grow into the people that they could be. And I think that the sex industry can play into that um, just like early pregnancy, you know, um, and any of the other problems around gender-based violence or over-sexualization of girls, you know, at inappropriate ages, all of that, it's all very connected. So that's the kind of stuff we saw in the film, in the making of the film. Continuing on that, I think, you know, I, I think about the the boys and the girls that we have to have these conversations around, but I'm thinking of the parent now who's listening, who, who realized, okay, I need to start by working on myself and, and working on my prejudices. Where do I begin, you know, when it comes to this industry? Because we do have these biases, we do have these ideas that they come from a childhood that, that you know, that they struggled or trauma. What did you learn that we could start, you know, the conversations around in our own home and with our own partners, you know, when it comes to this? You know, it sounds so simple, but sitting down and Googling, you know, <laughs> believe it or not, if you search the right keywords, healthy sexuality, um, you know, how to teach progressive values around sex and the sex industry. Now, in the case of my film, we had to, as I said, really talk to a lot of different people. I interviewed people who have lots of different perspectives on this topic. And my goal was to bring the audience on a journey to sort of say, wow, I've never thought about this, right? It's not, it doesn't feel like it's really in my face, even though we don't realize, like I'm thinking of uh, restaurants, for example, where the, here in the US, we have this restaurant called Hooters. I don't know if they have it in Canada. <laughs> I've heard okay, of it. I hope you don't have it, but I say, I hope you don't have it, not because I'm shaming those women, but if you want to go to Hooters to work, you have to have a certain kind of physique. And the idea is that it's just a restaurant, but, you know, wholesome families who would say, oh, I would never talk about sex with my kids, but then they take their kids to this restaurant where, really? yeah, 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 absolutely. And so, or, you know, other examples of that for me, you know, we love our sports, we love, but when you look at the cheerleaders and their tiny outfits, I remember being a little girl and thinking, wow, it seems like those women have the most value, The you know, their bodies are the most important thing about them. And I got that message very clearly as a little girl, that sexual, you know, sexualization was a big core part of how I should aspire to have value in the world. So I, I believe that you know, our goal uh, is to unpack all of that for ourselves. And so in researching, you might search, you know, just sit down with your partner or by yourself and, you know, just say, uh, you know, where do I begin with uh, the conversation about healthy sexuality for adolescents? Um, and I have my own thoughts about, you know, really smart people who have been examining and thinking about these uh, questions in a in a you know really um, progressive way, and I think that everyone will find their own uh, kind of comfort level. That's the other thing. True. I, I think you can mm -hmm. start with something as simple as piece of uh, content that was generated called mm -hmm. uh, the life story, the life story that people can Google, mm -hmm. and it looks at people in the life and asks them what was your experience. 
you know, how would you help people start to educate themselves? And then there's another organization that I love in part because we often think of this as a women's issue, but it's really an all gender issue. And there's an organization called A Call to Men a call to men. It was actually founded by, and and you may be familiar with them if you're familiar with the Man Enough podcast, because they're uh, very much aligned in terms of we have to get men into the conversation about healthy masculinity yeah. in order to address yeah. gender issues, right? Mm-hmm. For women and exactly. girls and across the gender spectrum. So I think those are two that come to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but as people research, basically, I feel like we'll be guided. You get to start to ask yourself, well, if I had all the choices in the world, you know, what would I choose? What would I want for my kids' mm-hmm. lives? And do we live in a society that creates opportunity and choice for everyone equally? Mm-hmm. Probably not. And so if we know that those inequalities <laughs> exist, that can help us to say, all right, let me look at a social justice lens around mm-hmm you know, the sex industry, who makes the money. We know that men largely make the money. Men are largely doing the buying. It's a, it, it starts to make more sense and help us, ha- you know, establish our values. Yeah. And I love that you brought up the masculinity part because that is something, you know, we, we mentioned before about the being a lady and saying that to young girls, but the opposite is with our boys too. We tend to tell them like, you know, buck up and stop crying. You don't, you know, don't be a baby. And I'm still seeing it. I, I, about two summers ago, I have two boys and a girl and they were playing in the little on, on the street next to my house. And there was a father whose daughter came and shared her doll with my sons. And he's like, no, they're boys. They don't play with dolls. Come here. And I was like, really? Still in this day? <laughs> like, it's still happening, you know? And my boys are confused because they play with anything. And it's it's part, I, I always, I post about this, but I say that toys don't have a gender. Toys are toys. All kids will play with anything that brings them joy and happiness. And we, we have to stop doing that. So it's almost as if we're talking about like sex and, and sex education and But it starts young and it's not about sex education when you're young. It's the gender conversation. It's allowing them to be who they are, expressing their emotions. And that's the conversation. That's where it all begins. Well, actually, with us, when we have a child and and we become parents, um, doing the research, as you said, is really important. And then kind of making sure that we create a home that is safe for our kids to express themselves and safe for us to have these conversations because maybe people aren't having it enough outside our home, but let's at least make that home that safe space. I love that. And I think what you're also pointing to is we get to look at our own history, right? We're coming back to that mm-hmm. point. Where did that father yeah. learn? Oh my goodness. You know, he probably didn't want to offend yeah. you. He might be afraid that you Maybe. would think there's something wrong with him as a parent that his, mm-hmm. you know, uh, that the, the dolls were coming into contact with your boys, God forbid. Right. <laughs> and so we get to look at, okay, all of us are trying to operate out of the best framework that we can. We're trying to be the best parent that we can. He wasn't trying to harm, you know, uh, your boys by saying, oh my goodness, no dolls for them. He's doing the best he can. And so how do we, uh, one of the things a call to men and many organizations talk about is instead of calling people out, call them in, you know, is there an opportunity to have a friendly conversation with that dad without hitting him over the head with it, but saying, you know, actually my boys play with everything. They love whatever you put in front of them, dolls, dinosaurs. It's all great. And I think the other piece for that is men getting to look without, without shaming themselves or feeling judged or criticized at all the messages they've been taught. We send them so many messages that have now gotten, you know, and I'm not taking them off the hook, obviously, you know, gender-based violence and the stuff that we see that we're trying to 
stop in girls and boys. We need men to do that work of stopping the violence and the toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. But I hear how often, you know, a little boy will be told, oh, you're going to be a little lady killer when you grow up. Oh, you're going to, you know, you're going to really, the girls are going to, you know, run after you. And we're sending this message where we would never say to a little girl, boy, when you grow up, I hope you have a million boyfriends. You know, it's sort of like, right. I know it's it's a double standard. And so we get to acknowledge that, that we're doing that. We get to not shame and blame ourselves. We're not bad people. We're just doing what we've been taught. And then we get to go through the temporary discomfort of doing the work to become more conscious of those biases and those, you know, old traditional things that we want to leave in the past. But I love the idea of, we don't even know what, you know, orientation that little boy is yet. He might like boys at some point. And how can we allow the space, as you said, for our kids to be who they are and express themselves as they are. Whenever we get scared, we get to look inward instead of worrying, oh my goodness, my kid is the problem. Let's look inward at our own stuff. So in some ways, I think the best sex education for parents is to start with therapy for ourselves. I know. It's true. And it's hard. And everything I talk about with regards to parenting, emotions, this, um, you know, it, it everything falls back to working on ourselves. And that's the hard part. And that's I know, I know a lot of parents that are working on themselves and in, in the, uh, you know, that are part of this Curious Neuron community, but it's not easy work. And then I know that sometimes they butt heads with their partners, one might want to do the work, one might not, one might not even have the insight that they need to start the work because they're perfect. So <laughs> why begin it, right? Like, that's the conversations that parents are having. Um, but I, I think what you just said is so important for the upcoming holidays <laughs> that are coming up. For, you know, parents will, and, and I've no, I know because they've told me this, where they meet, you know, their grandparents or, or um, you know, aunts and uncles that have <laughs> not, the, that maybe don't follow the same things that we do within our home. And it starts a lot of arguments. And I know like some parents struggle with that. So I think that aspect of inviting them in or having that conversation with them it doesn't mean they'll accept it (laughs) you know I and I know that it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation but I think some of the regrets that I've had in the past when it comes to these types of things is the silence and silence is wrong we should not be doing that um so slowly you know just saying a little comment like you know my kids play with all the toys my boys play with dolls and that's okay you you might get a comment from that old grandpa or (laughs) that you know the the great uncle but at least you've said something. Is is that enough for a start? Do you think that, that those are the baby steps? Absolutely. And I think, you know, it was what, what uh, you could say, uh, you know, in some ways we're all recovering. We're all like recovering from a long history of uh, just sort of restricted ideas about who people have to be based on gender. And recovery Rome was not built in a day. We're not going to just, <laughs> you know, all of a sudden everybody wakes up with like a rainbow flag and an, you know, trans trans is beautiful hashtags, you know, that's not going to probably going to happen. But at the same time, here's the beautiful thing. I come from a mixed race family. There was so much racism, but when the kids were born, these mixed race kids, the feeling was a little bit softer. There was a little bit less of that sense of those people over there are bad. It was like, oh, this is my grandchild. Some people are going to still reject that child and be very rigid. But for some people, it takes having your close relatives who you love say something that even if it makes you uncomfortable, it can plant a seed. And I really do believe the holidays, I was joking about this. I was on a television uh, program here in the US. And I said, you know, sit around the table, turn on the movie, and it starts a conversation. It's a, it has, it's a comedy, you know, hybrid documentary. We call it an unorthodox. It's a, it's a documentary, but it's unorthodox. (laughs) 
And it does <laughs> offer a way to, instead of, you know, you have to sit there and confront your relatives, turn it on and talk about the issues. And if somebody wants to leave the room or they have to turn it off, I understand. But I'm hearing so many reports of people saying, Sarah, when you did your characters, you know, like I I have this character, Bella. Hi, Cindy. It's super amazing to meet <laughs> you. Hi. Um, I'm not a parent yet myself, but I, I am super stoked about everything you're talking about because like, I feel like by the time I'm having kids, like, we're not even going to have like the whole gender reveal and like all this stuff that like our parents <laughs> oh, did. Gosh. It's like, why? Like I might be a different gender tomorrow. Just like whatever. Like, and I think that that's healthy and human anyway. So Bella has her own, Bella has her own take on everything. But the point is when we bring a sense of humor, when we can bring that mixture of, yes, we're going to talk about something, but let's keep our hearts light. Let's remember that we're a family. We love each other. First and foremost, this is not a political fight. We just want to love our grandkids or our kids the best way we can. And what if having a little conversation that lets it in through entertainment or through something more lighthearted is the way to get there? That's what I'm hoping with this film. That sentence that you just said, if not for us, for our grandkids, for our kids, for our grandkids, for the next generation, we need to have these conversations these uncomfortable conversations what a beautiful way to end this conversation actually between the two of us not that i want to but i i have to thank you for the work that you 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 do and the conversations that you have that will make a difference for our children um i invite everybody to watch sell by date i will have the links to everything that i possibly can in the show notes um can you tell us where we can stream it and watch it yeah, so you can stream it. First of all, I'm I love following you on Instagram. It eliminates the border, the international borders. I don't even need my passport. But uh and folks can follow me at yes, I'm Sarah Jones uh to learn more about the film. Uh but uh for now they can get it on Prime Video, Amazon Prime Video, Apple TV, wherever you get your movies. Um anywhere that you would stream, it's available in the US and Canada and I hope people will watch, especially parents. And if you have kids old enough, I'd say as old as 11 or 12 or whoever is old enough to stumble onto certain websites, you know, I encourage yeah, families to sit down and watch it together after you've watched it as an adult. <laughs> yes. And it'll help you with that conversation that you don't know how to begin. Why not start it this way? A lot of parents use books, you know, and, and movies to have these conversations. So thank you again. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Sarah Jones. Sell by Date is available on Amazon Prime and Apple TV. And come join the conversation. Watch the video on YouTube and let me know what you thought about the conversation and the struggles that you are having as well when it comes to having these sort of discussions with your children. Um, thanks to everybody who's listening. Please take a moment to rate the re and review the Curious Norm podcast and follow us on Instagram as well. Um, we will see you next week. Bye.